0: right across this room. Thank you, Lord. Father, we're just so grateful for your presence in this place today. We ask, Father God, that even right now, Lord God, that you just fill this place from the front to the back, side to side, with the undeniable presence. Father, we haven't come today to hear the voice of man or to hear man's opinion. We've come to gather around your Word, and we ask that, Holy Spirit, you'll just breathe this Word into life today. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful community, this wonderful church. We commit our service today, Father God, here at Warner and uh, across at Redcliffe and in Morayfield later later on. Father God, we just pray even right now, Lord God, that you'll just go before us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, one more time, can we just honor Jesus? Come on, right here. Wonderful. Hey, it's so great to be with you. What a great introduction. I just uh, also would uh, just do me the favor and honor your pastors too, Pastor Mark and Nina. Great people. I've only just met them, actually. I've talked to your Pastor Mark on the phone. Uh, But my name is Ken, and I'm from Perth. It's a great privilege to be here. And some of you are wondering what's this follically challenged Asian man doing on our stage. I do hail from the real sunshine state, Western Australia. That's where the sun has been shining. You, you, You tell me you're the sunshine state. It's false advertising, bro. It's rain and dark clouds, uh, but I do bring you greetings and lots of love from my home church, Nations Church, and my wife Chrissy and our two boys, Jensen and Isaiah. I have a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, and um, today I, I, I haven't come as a guest speaker. I come as family. Is that Okay. Can I preach to you today like you're my home church? I'm not an itinerant speaker. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm quite selective about where and, and when I travel. But when I feel like a, a, a God, yes, I'll say yes to that. And I feel like this is family already. I met with some of your team and some of your leaders last night, and I feel like I was, uh, I was just there with my own team. And so if I may, uh, can, I, can I share around the word today like you're part of the family? Um, and hello to everyone as well that, uh, at Redcliffe Campus. Can we give them a big hand as well? Everyone watching online, because this is the sense I get. The reason why I want to come and, and speak to you like we're family is because I believe that Jesus is coming back soon, and He's not coming back for Nations Church, He's not coming back for Emerged Church, He's not coming back for a movement, He's coming back for the bride, and that's you and me. And so, you know, we want to join hearts today, and I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 5. We've got a fair chunk of Scripture to go through today, but I just feel like it's just It's just the the account that I want to bring to you today in prayer as I was carrying Emerge Church in my heart. Um, And it says this in Mark 5, verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her. Say after me that she will be healed, And live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, Say after me, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, and at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for that incredible account in the Gospels. Today, I want to speak to you on the thought, what do you believe about Him? What do you believe about Him, Emerge Church? Because I, you know, for those of us who love Jesus, and if if you have not yet received Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm sure the team here later on will give you an opportunity to. But for those of us who call ourselves believers, it's fair to say that we believe in Jesus, But how many of you know that believing in Jesus has profound effects and profound ramifications for our eternal destiny? One day when we pass from this life to the next. But what we believe about Him has profound impact on how we experience the Christian life here on earth. So I want to ask you today, what do you believe about Him? See, what we believe about each other is the basis or the framework for how we relate to one another. The, see, what you believe about me right now will predetermine whether you want to listen to me or you're going to scroll through your phone and check your Facebook. Hello. Because I am definitely real. You can believe that I'm, I'm, I'm real. I'm standing on your stage. I'm speaking. But what you believe about me is already predetermined whether you care enough about what I'm about to tell you. See, what we believe about him has incredible Uh, ramifications for the way that we relate to Jesus today I want to ask you what do you believe about him because what you believe about Jesus will determine how you relate to him will determine how you pray to him it will determine even if you do pray what you believe about him will determine how you come into the presence of God with worship see here in this account we see a man by the name of Jairus Jairus's daughter is so ill to the point of dying Now, if I was Jairus, and I'm a parent too, I don't have a daughter, I've got sons, but I can tell you what, if I've got a child lying on a sickbed, it'll take a lot for me to leave him or her. And yet Jairus picks himself up from the bedside of his ill daughter and goes and finds Jesus. So what he does tells us that he believes in Jesus, but what he says next tells us what he believes about him. Because he goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, 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 my daughter is ill to the point of death. But if you were to come home with me and lay your hands on her, she will be healed and she will live. I want to have that kind of faith. Come on, Emerge Church. See, what we believe about Jesus will predetermine how we relate to him, will predetermine how we go to him. And on the second part of this account, we see a woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. A horrific, chronic condition. Now, I don't know if you know the context, but in the first century, Middle East, when to be menstrually bleeding would consider you unclean and rejected by society. And this woman didn't have it monthly. She had it for a 12 year period nonstop. So you can probably imagine that this woman was in quarantine or isolation for 12 years, self-imposed. And here's this woman that she probably had not seen, her skin has probably not seen the light of day for over a decade. But she, being a Jewish lady would have heard about the Messiah. And she hears this Jesus coming down the road and hearing the crowd calling out Yeshua, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in the confines of her own house, she would have fought everything to come out of the house. She would have probably would have thought, I don't even know how to do my hair. I haven't done it for 12 years. I can totally relate. About 15 for me. Well, what, what do I wear to manage the bleed? I don't know what it's like to get out into society. It's been well over a decade. And yet the Bible tells us that she leaves her house to go find Jesus. So what she does tells us that she believes in him. But what she says next tells us what she believes about him because she says, if, if only I could just touch the hem or the edge of his cloak, I will be healed and set free from this. Like, oh man, I want that kind of faith for Emerge church. See, what we, when, we, when we say we love Jesus, it's, it's a base level of faith. We all, those of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior, believe in Him. But I want to stir in your heart today, what do you truly believe about Him? Because if there is a next stage, an emergence of this house... I generally believe that there's going to be a right belief that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's a miracle worker. Come on, are you out there? If this is truly going to be a house of miracles, we better start lifting what we believe. Come on, the resounding amen from Emerge Church. So here are two people from vastly different ends of society's spectrum. One, a religious leader called Jairus. Another, an unnamed woman with the issue of blood. And they both receive their breakthrough, not just because they believed in Him, but because of what they believed about Him. You guys getting this today? So I want to go through some learnings with you about this account of Jairus and this woman with the issue of blood. And the first learning is this, that what you believe about Him will determine the conclusions you jump to. How many of you are conclusion jumpers? Like you hear some news, right? And then you jump to conclusions. Hello, come on, in the last two years in the pandemic, we've been jumping to conclusions. All you need to do is find out that there's some press conference coming up by your state premier, and suddenly everyone's running down to the shops getting your toilet paper. Because you're jumping to conclusions, right? We have a chronic way of jumping to conclusions. We like to roll the ball forward and play it out in the future. So I want to suggest to you today, what you believe about him will determine the kind of conclusions you jump to. In the book of Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 38, we see an account where Jesus gets his disciples around and says, boys, we're going to sail to the other side, get in the boat. How many of you know that account Mark chapter 4? They get in the boat, and the Bible tells us that a storm starts to beat into the boat, water, the the boat starts taking in water. Now, these disciples were so freaked out at the storm while Jesus was sleeping in the boat. How many of you have ever been through a difficult time in your life and you felt like your Savior was sleeping in your boat? That's me, like every week when I get my church stats. Jesus, you've been sleeping in the boat. That goes down much better in Perth. Come on, I tell you, my humor, you guys ain't getting it. And so here are these disciples, and they, and they're freaking out, and they're waking Jesus up, saying, "Jesus, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing?" How many of you know they started to change the conclusion that Jesus never wrote for them because Jesus said, "Let's sail over to the other side." And then Jesus turns to them after he calms the storm and challenges them about their faith. Jesus knew being his disciples, it wasn't an issue of them believing in Him. It was an issue of them believing rightly about Him. Yeah. Yeah. See, what we believe about Jesus will determine the conclusions we jump to when we're actually in a storm. Hello? Come on. See, we're, we're pastors, Pastor Mark. And you've got to understand that as pastors and leaders, most of our time in our counseling sessions, not that I do very much of it, I'm not very good at it, but most of the counseling sessions that we do with people is helping people to believe rightly about Jesus so they jump to the right conclusions about what is happening to them. Hello? What sends us into a spin is not what is happening to us, but what we think will happen to us because of what is happening to us. Isn't that right? Most of the time when I'm sitting down with someone and they're losing their minds, it's not because of what's happening to them, but because of what they think will happen to them because of what's happening to them. The conclusions we jump to have already been predetermined But what we believe about Him. If you're here today and you're in a storm, if you're here today and you're going through something, the way that you play this forward and whether you catastrophize your ending or whether you see yourself with a poor outcome in the end or whether you see that Jesus is going to bring the breakthrough for you is completely already predetermined by what you believe about Him. So I want to stir in your heart today, Emerge Church. Believe rightly about your Savior. Believe rightly about the God who says that he's your refuge, he's your protector. In the book of Mark, uh, chapter 6, we see the disciples uh, in a very similar situation. Two chapters later, Jesus says, boys, get into the boat. Now, if I was a disciple, I'd go, this spells trouble because boats and Jesus, they never go well together. Both accounts, stuff happens, right? Again. The boys get in the boat and Jesus this time is not in the boat with them. He's nowhere to be seen. He says, I am going to go up the hills to pray, boys. When they get in the boat and they're sailing to the other side, again, a storm blows hard. They freak out because Jesus decides to play the ultimate party trick. He thinks to himself, like, I'm going to, I'm going to punk my boys and I'm going to walk on water like a ghost. So they're absolutely freaking out. And so Jesus appears to them walking on the water. 11 out of the 12 disciples conclude that this was an apparition. It's a ghost. We're all going to get killed by this weird, freaky account. What are we going to do? One out of the 12, called Peter, had a different belief about Jesus. 11 out of 12 thought they were going to die, be killed by a ghost. One out of the 12 said, that's you, Jesus. Call me out on the water. Can I ask today, Emerge Church, who do you want to be? Because who you're going to be as a church, who you'll emerge to become in the next decade, is already been predetermined by what you believe about Him. And I want to declare today that you're going to be a church that decides in your heart and has a conviction that He is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords, He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is not some hyped up sermon, this is theology about who He truly is. And for so long, the modern church has diluted and reduced Jesus to our level of belief. But it's time for us to elevate our belief to what kingdom wants for us. I need a resounding amen from you. Amen. Amen. So here is this account in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6 where we see Jesus challenging the faith of his disciples. And he's not challenging them based on the fact that they may or may not believe in him. He knows because the fact that they follow him, they are his disciples. They believe in him. But what he wanted to grow in them was their belief about him. He turns the storm, calms it, and challenges them about their faith. What does Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6 tell us? It tells us that friends, storms are inevitable, but fear is optional. Because if you think about it, fear ultimately is the erroneous belief about God. All basis of fear is the erroneous, the wrongful belief about God. The reason why you're afraid is because you don't truly believe God is who He says He is. You might believe in Him, but you might have a limited or a uh, truncated understanding of who he is. But today, my part for you is that your heart will open to the fullness and the majesty and the bigness of who God is. I need a resounding Amen, Emerge Church. You know, my dad was diagnosed with aggressive cancer in February, and everything on the inside of me wanted to be fearful. Everything inside of me wanted to catastrophize. Everything on the inside of me wanted to assume the worst. And yet, the Spirit of God on the inside of me began to continue to stir and challenge me and said, Ken, What do you believe about me? Do you believe that I can shrink this cancer? You sing about waymaker, miracle worker. Do you truly believe what you sing? My heart for Emerge Church is that you begin to become the church that really believes what you sing. I need a resounding amen. The second learning, second learning about this account with Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood is that what you believe about him will determine how you respond when someone else gets the miracle you need. How do you respond when someone else gets the miracle you need? Because there is, I don't know about you, but have have you ever heard of the word triage? Well, triage is, is used in emergency departments the world over. Triage is essentially the assignment of degrees of urgency to wounds, injuries, illnesses to decide the priority of treatment. So here is Jairus, and his daughter is ill to the point of death. He knows that by leaving her bedside, he could possibly risk coming home, and she'd be dead. She'd be gone, right? So he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, 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 would you come with me? Jesus said, yep, no worries. I'm going to come with you. No problems. And the disciples even said, man, this is really serious, Jesus. You should like stop preaching and ministering and go straight to Jairus' house. And off they go, right? Now, if I was a disciple and in the 21st century, I'd stick a siren up on up the car. Bang. wee wee Off we go. This is a big deal. But on the way, Jesus is so extra. On the way, Jesus stops and said, hold up, hold up. Boys, I felt power. Leave me. <laughs> like if I, was, if I was a disciple, I go, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Jairus' daughter is ill to the point of death. He said, No, 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 hold up. I felt power. Leave me, boys. We need to stop here for a minute. Check it out. Now, if I was Jairus, I would be losing my mind. Your daughter is ill to the point of death. You'd be screaming at Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? triage. He acknowledges this woman with the issue of blood, but there is a difference, do you not think, between fatal and chronic? How many of you've been in a season in your life where you felt like what you're going through is so intense and so severe and in such desperate need of a breakthrough? Right? And yet the breakthrough through tarries And that Johnny come lately in the far corner of church after like suffering for two seconds gets their breakthrough. It's like, Jesus, I've been fasting and praying for six months, right? Next minute, Susan over there, right? Two weeks, unwell, COVID, bang, miraculously healed, on the news, testimony. What you believe about him will determine the... Your response, when someone else gets the miracle you need. You've been unemployed for a year. Rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. Somebody else in church gives a testimony. I was offered three new jobs. While I was in my current job, praise Jesus. (laughs) The desire of your heart is to be partnered. Find love. Time has gone on. Over and over again, you turn up to weddings alone, you show up to family gatherings, unpartnered. The desire of your heart is to start a family. Next minute, your best friend, 10 years younger, gets on some Christian singles website. I'm engaged. We've all been in places we've experienced someone else getting a miracle. See, if I was Jairus, I'd be all upset about Jesus and wanting to throw the towel in because how dare you, Jesus? How dare you? Do you not know that I left my daughter's bedside to come look for you? And I am the priority here. To understand the context even better, he was a religious leader. He could pull rank over an unclean woman. Oh, you guys aren't getting this. He had every right. I'm an elder in the church, Jesus. I need the breakthrough first. Come on. We've all felt that way. The sense of self-righteousness would have risen in Jairus. The Bible records Jairus doing no such thing. Jairus remains silent through the whole account as he stands there and watches Jesus have this discourse with this woman. He, he engages with her and, and, and you know, she, she, she confesses her need of him and, and he, he releases her and has this conversation with the daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go and suffer no more. Jairus watches the whole thing patiently. Why? Because it reveals to us what he truly believed about Jesus. Jairus believed that the same Jesus that caused him to leave his daughter's bedside to say these words, Jesus, if you come home with me, lay hands on my daughter, she will be healed and she will live. It's the same Jesus as now caught up in a seeming interruption, tending to somebody else's miracle. Oh man, I need a resounding amen from Emerge Church. Jesus has enough miracle for everybody. And just because it seems like your breakthrough is tarrying right now, hold on to a firm belief that your time will come. Your time will come. Turn to someone and say, your time will come. Our youngest boy is 15 years old. His name is Isaiah. And when Isaiah was about two or three years old, we discovered that he was really struggling in his developmental milestones. By the time he was four or five years old, it had become apparent that, our youngest boy had significant issues from a disability point of view, and when he was six years old, he was formally diagnosed with a rare genetic syndrome called Mowat-Wilson syndrome. You haven't heard of it because my boy is one of maybe 480, 500 people in the world to have it. And uh, over the years, uh, as, as a pastor, I can tell you, it's been the joy of my heart to celebrate other people's children and all the wonderful milestones. You see, when, when my my boy Isaiah was was born, he was dedicated by a good friend of yours, actually, Pastor Martin Steele, came to my church and dedicated uh, my my baby Isaiah at the time, and he was you know probably six months old. And you know, when you dedicate your, your your child, you have these dreams for your kid, that that one day you'd, you'd film them, you know, giving their first speech at their. Assembly winning this award, that award, and you know we spoke of Isaiah that he'd be a champion boy, this and he'd achieve that, and and you know he, he, he'd be this amazing young man in God. And over the years, across the last fifteen years, Isaiah has not met a single one of those expectations. He's significantly intellectually disabled. He's he has very limited language. Uh, he's got an incredibly bubbly personality. If he was here, he'd be your best mate. People tell Isaiah he's got special needs. Isaiah just thinks he's special. But over the years, year after year after year, we'd see our boy get further and further behind and special schools would do their best with him. And over the years, I would dedicate other children and see them win awards and congratulate people on Facebook for all the different successes and achievements that their kids would have. And this a part of me that would die on the inside. And yet, I refuse to believe wrongly about my Jesus. <laughs> That the same Jesus who promised our family miracles and breakthrough and and, and favor and blessing is the same Jesus today. Even though my miracle tarries, I want to ask the Emerge Church family to believe with me that my day will come for my son. That one day I will have a conversation with him in this life or the next. I need a resounding amen from you. See, what we believe about Jesus will determine how we respond when someone else gets blessed. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, there was a lady by the name of Hannah, and she was struggling with fertility. Even back then, in biblical times, a thousand years before Jesus came, it was still a stigma. And here was Hannah, and she was married to a man by the name of Alkanah, and and particularly in Middle Eastern cultures at the time, there were very few ailments or health issues that had a greater stigma than infertility and so here was Hannah and all that she wanted in her heart was to start a family she knew that God had called her to bear a son to make matters worse Hannah's husband Elkanah married another woman called Panina. now Panina was a piece of work to make matters worse Panina was pumping out babies like it was going out of fashion Like even her own pastor was sick of dedicating her babies. What Panina's Charlie and oh my gosh, another year, Panina's got another baby, oh my gosh. And Panina would rub it into Hannah. Year after year after year, Hannah would go up to the place of worship and weep before the Lord. But year after year after year, she would hold on to a firm belief about her girl, her God. That he who had promised her a child would give her a child. And eventually her time came. Turn to someone and say, Your time will come. Her time came and she brings. And she bears a child by the name of Samuel. Samuel was to be the prophet that anointed the greatest king that Israel had ever known. Friend, I don't know what your situation is right now, but maybe you're in a season where you are experiencing a waiting. How know if you are experiencing a waiting? It feels like you're in the waiting room of God for like forever. And everybody else that's come in and checked in gets seen first. They jump the queue and you're still in the waiting room saying, God, God, what about me? Can I encourage you emerge, church? Hold on. Hold on to the firm belief that the God who saved you and crafted you from the day you were in your mother's womb knows all about your life and your time will come. Turn to someone and say, I'm receiving that for myself today. As we keep reading this text, it says here in Mark 5, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue, leader Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him and he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to Letha, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. My third and final learning from this account. What you believe about him will determine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. See, we live in an age and an era in human history where we love bad news. Don't we? We have an obsession with bad news. If you just flick through your News feed, it's not good news stories. It's all bad news. You know, the top five, the regular top five Google search topics in the last two years has been coronavirus death rates. People have wanted to know how many people die from coronavirus. That's what's on people's minds, right? I want to tell you today, there are so many things that God is doing Across the globe, that no one's googling, God is sweeping. There, there, there are Muslims being saved by the thousands, by the hundreds and thousands. There's revivals going on globally, and yet, what the world wants to know is how many people are dying from this silly pandemic. See, we have an obsession with bad news. So here is Jairus, and 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 after seeing seeing Jesus pause for a minute, breaking all Tria rules to deal with this woman with the issue of blood. As Jesus was finishing off the conversation with this woman's daughter, your faith has made you work. As he's just trailing off people from Jairus's house coming to say, Jairus, Jairus, your daughter's dead. How many of you have those kind of friends? That they like to tell you the scores of your football game for your team before you even get home to watch it? I'm from the West, okay? So I'm a fan of the West Coast Eagles football team, AFL. Doing terribly this year but I've got a staff member. Like most of the West Coast Eagles games happen to be on a Sunday, so I don't get to watch it because I'm at church. I'm a good Christian boy, right? I've got this staff member who delights in ruining my football watching experience on a Sunday night after church by telling me the scores. Like he'll often come up to me and go, PK, you lost. (laughs) He's a Docker supporter, you see. Evil people, right? It's like, bro, what is wrong with you? I should sack you. Let me watch the game. These people said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. There's often a finality to the way the world likes to describe our storms. Oh, you know that cheating husband of yours, they'll never come good. Oh, you know that, that, that young adult son when they're wayward? Nah, it's, I, 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 he may come back to the Lord, but I've, oh, I've never seen it. That sickness that your dad's going through, that cancer. Not very many chances of a good outcome, you know. But, you know, we'll just believe for the best. No one's ever been healed from Mowat-Wilson syndrome. I think your boy, you know, you're just going to have to just make do with the best life that you can give him. Pastor Ken, you know, commiserations. See, what you believe about him will determine how you respond when people tell you there is no hope. They said to Jairus, Jairus... Your daughter is dead. But how many of you know that the same belief that Jairus had when he left his daughter's bedside was the same belief that he held on to when Jesus got interrupted by the woman with issue of blood. And it's now still the same Jesus he's believing about rightly. Now that he's hearing this final words, your daughter is dead. I want to suggest to you, Emerge Church, that man might say it's final and hopeless, but death could not hold him down. Come on. He is the Savior that brings dead things to life. If you believe in resurrection power, there is no such thing as too far gone. And maybe you're here today, and there is something in your life right now that you feel is too far gone. It is too, it is beyond reconciliation. It is irreparable. And all those big words that we like to use, this is not some Pentecostal hype. This is theology. I want to be the kind of believer that believes rightly about Jesus. I don't just want to go through life believing in him. I want to believe that he, I want to be all in with believing rightly about him. Maybe you're here today, and there are some conclusions that you've jumped to. Maybe you're here today, and there is a sense of hopelessness. I love that you named your baby Hope, whoever the couple was, and Liberty Hope. Man, that's, a, that's an amazing name. Because there is great liberty in having hope. There's something about a believer that believes rightly, but your theology is lined up with who God is. Today, if you're in the room, my Exhortation to you as super simple musicians as you join me is simply this. Emerge Church, believe rightly about Jesus. Believe rightly about the God you serve so much of our experience here on earth why we don't ever step in to the miracles that we see in scripture why we don't ever step in to the promises of God Why we're limited in our experience of him we don't experience the zoe this abundant life that Jesus came for us to have is because we believe in him but we've got a truncated or a limited belief about him my prayer for us today emerge church is that you'll emerge into the next season where you believe everything that Jesus says he is come on do I get a resounding amen come on what are you instead